If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We are going to uh, start a new series, and we're going to start it in the book of Acts. It's kind of nice to start a new series beginning Sunday of the year. And there's a couple of reasons why we're doing this series. One is that we, the way we do sermon series is we oscillate between thematic series, like you know something on marriage or money or singleness or you know a, a particular topic. And then the other kind of series we'll do is one through a book of the Bible. Well, we've been doing a lot of thematic series lately. So we're due for a book, and we're due for a big one. And so this one's 28 chapters long. And I got a team of men and women helping me outline uh, this, this book that, on what to speak on week to week. And we've only gotten to chapter five, which will take us into Easter. So I just, just buckle up, get comfortable, buy a commentary, you know, relax. We'll be here a while. But the second reason, this is, is probably the more important reason, is that I... I believe that, that God wants to give us, as I've thought about 2019, I believe God wants to give us a fresh dose of vision of what the church uh, could be, uh, should be, and we can be. And I, I'm very grateful for what's going on in Jubilee Church in many ways. I, I wouldn't say I don't have any complaints, but like, man, a lot of things are go- going well. And when I talk to you, you, you seem to think that things are going well. And we, have, we are a place, a church, um, where we have everything that... that qualifies as a good church according to most people. And we have a, you know, a nice building that we're continuing to update. We have staff and uh, people are being added. People are being cared for like never before. We're extending out into the community and helping people in ways that we've never helped them before. Uh, we have some history. Uh, so we're not like the new kid on the block, but there's a little bit of you know, freshness to it. You know, there's a little bit of that. We got, you know, we got good music, got great mystery to kids and you know, gr- amazing preaching. And... Um, <laughs> <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, you just saw the beginnings of a church split. And so, but listen, is that things are, they're good, they're nice, they're, they're blue skies, but we are at risk. We are at risk of a lot of things. One of the things that we're at risk at is becoming a statistic if that's all we care about, right? And so this is a stat I quote a lot. But the average church begins to plateau at 15 years. Uh, the average church begins to decline at 25. The average church is done with at 40, which means the only way that churches can uh, continue on is if they reproduce, just like human beings. The only way humanity goes on is if we reproduce. And same thing with churches. Uh, there has to be a, 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 a continual turn turning over, continuing revision to make, and I believe that's what God wants to do. I believe that God wants to do in our church right now, and I think he wants to use this series to do it, to till up the ground, so to speak, to make the soil fresh and ready for some new things to happen in us collectively, and I think you personally as well. And we'll address a lot of things, and we'll get into a lot of different topics. I mean, we couldn't come up with a theme. It's just like, you know, exploding with all kinds of things, multiplication, cities and nations, doctrine, baptism, multi-ethnic, uh, racial tension, Gen Z, signs and wonders, divine to right, all kinds of things we're going to get into as we go through this series. Um, and so that's where we're going to start. So we're going to start in Acts 1. And today I'm just going to do a big overview uh, kind of narrative of the passage. So if you, if, you have, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one in the chair in front of you. Put a finger in Acts uh, 1. Put another finger in Acts 28. But we will be in Acts 1. And... Um, if you don't have a, a Bible, 
and you're one of the three people who don't have a phone, then we'll be here on the screen. So the next one, we're going to start here. It says, in the first book, O Theopolis. So Theopolis was, a, was a, somebody in the, in the Roman government, and he was a friend of this guy named Luke, who was a physician. He wasn't a part of the 12, but he wrote, uh, he has more ink in the New Testament than any other writer. He wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. There's four Gospels in the Bible. They're biographies, basically, of the life of Jesus. And he wrote one of them called Luke. And the second book he wrote is the book that we're going to study now, the book of Acts. And he wrote these two books to give to his friend Theopolis an orderly account of the claims of Christ, which I think is phenomenal when you think about it. I mean, like you and I, we may struggle to have a two-minute conversation about Jesus with our neighbor. He writes two books of the Bible to explain Christ to his friend. So pretty impressive stuff. So anyway, so in his first book, O Theopolis, I have dealt with all that Jesus, what's that word? began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostle whom he has chosen. That little word began is very, very key to understanding the book of Acts, the purpose of the church, and the purpose of your life. Luke tells his friend, I have told you a story that began with the virgin birth and it ended with Jesus ascending into heaven. I have told you many things that Jesus did and I've told you many things that Jesus said. And now I am telling you that was just the beginning of his ministry, not the end. That was the beginning of his teaching ministry. That was the beginning of his doing ministry. And now Luke says, in telling you the story of the church, I'm going to tell you what, now you need to listen to this, what Jesus continues to do and Jesus continues to teach. The book of Acts, the purpose of the church, the purpose of your life is to finish the ministry of Jesus. He was born. He lived a perfect life. He died. He was buried. According to scriptures, he rose on the third day and he ascended and he left a work unfinished. And through the story of the church, he's going to tell us what he continues to do. These weak, fragile jars of clay called church members are continuing the gospel story of Jesus Christ. So listen to me. That means that the church is not a vendor of religious goods and services trying to compete for your attention, your interest, your needs. That's not what the church is. But the local church is a group of people, believers, uh, in Jesus Christ in a particular geographical area that are meant to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And they have as their very purpose, as Paul would later say in Galatians 2, it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives through me. So let me say some things with a little bit of angst and a smile. Don't ever let me hear you say, well, I'm just a greeter. And I, you know, I kind of chip in here and I, you know, I, I, just, I just work in the nursery. You're not just doing any, you, if what you're doing is connected to the local church, what you're doing is no less than finishing what Jesus started. There is something bigger going on 
than you putting bulletins on a chair. There's something bigger going on when you serve with the kids. There's something bigger going on. It's not, it's what Jesus continues to do. I got, I got a, we got 28 chapters and I'm only in verse three, so we got to keep them. Verse two. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. We'll talk about a little bit about that next week. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus, again, he died, he rose, and he hung out with his followers uh, for about 40 days. And he taught them things about the kingdom of God, specifically how he himself was the fulfillment of many of things that they knew about in the Old Testament. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, that is immersed with water, but you will be baptized, that is immersed with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, the Lord will at this time, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? John Calvin, a, a, you know, a late theologian said their question was as full of mistakes as it was words. And here's what he's driving at. Um, what's going on here is at the, time, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people were under uh, the control of the Roman rule. The Romans had their foot on the back of the Jewish neck and they felt it and they resented it. And so the Jews were waiting for a Messiah that would relieve them of their oppression by conquering the Romans and setting up Israel to be the world's political power. And so the disciples, they would have connected, I don't have time to explain this, but they would have connected the coming of the Holy Spirit with the establishment of God's kingdom here on earth. And so they were literally would have thought, oh, now you're going to come and fix our problems. Now you're going to take care of the big, bad Romans. Now you're going to set us up as a favored nation. Now you're going to bless us more than any other nation. You're going to just kind of excuse our sin, and you're going to, we're going to be the Christian nation. Isn't that right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to conquer the Romans. I'm going to conquer you. I'm going to conquer your heart. I'm going to use messed up, immature, fragile, weak you to do this. He says this in verse seven. First of all, he says, it's not for you to know the time there's seasons that as Father has fixed his own authority. If you are the kind of person who like tries to figure out when Jesus is coming back, you can, you can stop. <laughs> but you will receive, so you can stop doing that, but you will receive power, right? Not an earthly power, it's not going to be a better president. There's not going to be a better legislation. There's not going to be a better judge. You're not going to get an earthly power. He's like, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. They got confused. We get confused. It's not about an earthly power. I've got a heavenly power that's going to come upon you because I'm getting ready to ask you to do something that you can't do, and that is to make me famous. Let me show you where. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. He says to them, he says, to, you will be my witnesses in St. Louis, in Missouri, in the United States, into the ends of the earth. And then he says this in verse nine. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two Two men stood by them in white robes. I'm guessing angels, right? Or just guys with a bad wardrobe. So angels. 
And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him going to heaven. Hey, look, we're working on a deadline here. It's time to get to it. He left and he's coming back. Why are you gazing? Yes, we are to be gazers, but we're also to be goers. And this was an encouragement to them. Actually, it wasn't more than an encouragement. It was a command. It wasn't an encouragement that goes, hey, you know, you might want to consider, you know, reaching out to your neighbor. This was a command to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, how did they do? Did, you know, this, was the, this is what they were supposed to do. Well, how did they do a good job? Did they do a bad job? Well, we're, we're going to spend the better part of the year like diving into how they did, but I don't like surprises. I don't know about you. I don't like surprises. So I don't, let's go to the back of the book, 28, and just find out what happened. What do you say? This is what happens in verse, this is what Luke writes. He, he's talking about the apostle Paul, which we'll learn a lot about when we go through Acts, lived there. There is Rome, all right? Paul lived in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. Okay, so check this out. 28 chapters, the book of Luke. The time span is about 30 years. And the gospel had moved out in concentric circles all the way from Jerusalem to Rome. Now, I don't know if you're good at geography. Probably not. That's over 1,500 miles. You're, you're American. It's over, that's over 1,500 miles of space. No motorized transportation, no email, no internet, no Google Maps, 15, I just got back from, we, I took my, I Griswold my family all the way to Yellowstone, Northwest Wyoming, 1,400 miles. That is a far way to drive. And the gospel just, 1,500 miles. And here's what the cool thing is about looking at the whole book, like we're going to do today, we're just going to do a narrative, a flyover of the book of Acts, is you can kind of get the wow factor again. I mean, it's great to look at the, the detail of what's going on, but to look at the narrative, you can kind of get the wow factor. I mean, the disciples are like the biggest punchline in the Bible. And they gathered together and they did something quite remarkable. Well, what happened? Well, we're going to do that. We're going to spend the rest of it. Well, again, we're going to spend the rest of the year going in detail, but today we're going to just do a flyover. So in, in Acts 2, the church gets started in Jerusalem. And, um, and on, uh, something happened in Acts 2 called Pentecost. And we'll go into that here in a few weeks. And uh, the church was born and the public launched. They started with 120 public. They added 3,000 day one. Just banging success. And then Acts 2.47, we read that there were people being added daily. You roll into Acts 3 and 4, and you're, here, you're seeing all these signs and wonders. I mean, they're just like <laughs> building up with confidence about what God is doing in Jerusalem. And in, by, chapter, by the end of chapter 4, um, 5, 000, the result of these signs and wonders, another 5,000 was added. Uh, that was just the men, so plus women and children. And so this thing is just beginning to expand and grow in Jerusalem, so much so, in, in Acts 6, they had to like, re-engineer the entire leadership structure of the church. Well, for the first 10 years, uh, seven chapters of the Bible, uh, it, they only did mission in Jerusalem. And, but but per persecution hit in chapter 8, and the church is just scattered all through that area. And um, believers go in different areas, and so God kicked them out of Jerusalem, and they went up into Samaria, and then and you know that that thing was broken into. I mean, there's there was 700 years of racial tension that was 
that the Holy Spirit busts through in the preaching of the gospel. And then it went from Samaria, somehow Philip, through teleportation, went to Gaza Strip and met this Ethiopian dignitary, this black African, and, and he shares the gospel. And because of that, the gospel goes into Africa. And what a great thing, because, I mean, some of our the greatest theological minds and things that, that we're shaped by today came from, came from Africa. So we're real grateful for that. And then Acts 9, a great persecutor of the church uh, named Saul, we know as Paul. He gets converted on the Damascus Road. And in Acts 10, uh, we read about the gospel making it to this Roman centurion. It's the first time it went to the Gentile world. And, and so that broke through there. And then because of persecution, uh, again, they scattered and, and it scattered to Cyprus. And there were some men from Cyprus who went and started this church in Antioch. We read about that in Acts 11. Now, my wife and I, we, we got invited last fall to this gathering of world uh, leaders to, in Cyprus. Now, we thought, because we're bad at, because Americans are bad at geography, we thought we were going to be invited to some Greek island. I don't know if you thought Cyprus is in Greece. I didn't realize we we're going to be staring out the window at Syria. But anyway, so we were, we, were in Cy, we were in Cyprus, and through Cyprus, this church in Antioch got started, but they weren't just reaching their city. Uh, they began to, to plan out. They became uh, a, a base. And now there's multiple bases. There's a base in Jerusalem. There's a base in Antioch. In fact, as you kind of move on, the center of action moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. In fact, it's in Antioch where we first were called Christians. Uh, originally, Christians were, were just known as a part of the way, which I realize sounds like Kool-Aid and weapons are involved. It sounds definitely like a cult, but it was just what they were called. And then, But Christian was originally a derogatory term. They would say, oh, you guys, you just want to be like little Christ. But it told, the plan totally backfired because they were like, you know what? You're right. We do just want to be like little Christ. We, we want to be like him. We want to be with him. We want to act like him. We love him. Yes, Christian. We'll be Christian. So they were first called Christian in Antioch. And uh, something interesting happens in, in Antioch. Five of their, two of their five key leaders um, get sent out, not just like, you know, not just anyone, but kind of some heavy hitters, Saul and Barnabas, uh, they get sent out from Antioch. And this, so Antioch becomes this big sending base, which is kind of just on a side note, this is, this is near and dear to our heart as Jubilee. I mean, from the very beginning of Jubilee's um, start, um, you know, it's been our heart not just to be about St. Louis, but to be about the world and to, and to live with this and to see things extend beyond us. In fact, John Lamferman, uh, the guy who started this church, I didn't start this church, he started this church in the mid-90s or late 97, and, um, and he was involved with extending out into Missouri and into different parts of the country. In fact, in 2005, when he turned the church over to me, one of the reasons why he turned it over to me is so he could primarily give himself to that extension. And there was another guy in 2005 named Sam Poe, which you may or may not know about, but he, he went out into the Northwest to help start a church out in Tacoma and to see that, that area strengthened and extended with churches. And that church today is over 500, I think now, and, 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 and blessing the, the entire area. And now he's over in the Northeast helping that region of churches and actually has done a lot uh, he created a, a, a curriculum to, to share the gospel to oral cultures. And I mean, so the gospel's extending out into all these different nations. And then I'll start it here. Um, and so we've wanted to be that kind of base. Well, anyway, so Paul, he, in chapter 14, he's, he starts what's known as his first missionary journey. 
And he goes through Cyprus to purge uh, to Pisidia. It's Antioch, Pisidia. There's two Antiochs. It's Antioch, Pisidia. Iconium, Lestra, and Derby. And then he circles back because he's not, not just wanting to you know, lengthen the church reach, but strengthen. You know, Isaiah 54 talks about that, that the tents of our pegs should not just be lengthened, but they should be strengthened. At Jubilee, we don't just want more disciples. We want mature disciples. And so he heads back. He gets stoned in, in Leicester. And I don't mean stoned, but he gets like actually thrown with big, heavy rocks. They thought he was dead, but he gets up and walks away and go plants another church. Uh, and that's the Apostle Paul. In um, Acts 15, they have this, something known as the Jerusalem Council, which is, we'll read about that. Paul and Barnabas, at this time, they, they part ways, and um, Paul gets a new sidekick uh, named Silas, and they start out in Jerusalem on what's known as Paul's second missionary journey. They pick up, a, so, they, so him and Silas, they, they go, they go to Antioch, and they pick up a guy named Timothy who was very well known in Iconium and Lestra. And he was kind of like this young gun, you know, his faith was well known, his gifting was well known, and they picked him up and they go for, to go strengthen the churches again. And they're looking to extend from here, but something very fascinating happens. They try to go north, but they had no success. And then they try to go south and nothing happened. And the Bible says, Luke records, it says that the Holy Spirit prevented them from going north are going south. And I just find this super encouraging because this is what this means for us, corporately and individually. It just means that we can totally unleash. Like we don't, we can uncork ourselves. Like we could just give ourselves to the mission of God unabandoned. And if we're gonna make a mistake, he's gonna stop us, right? That's what he did with, jo- I mean, Jonah, he was always supposed to go to Nineveh and you know he had to stay in the belly of the whale for a few days, but he got him to Nineveh. <laughs> and so the key for you and I, here's what's really important. So number one, that you, you can just give yourself to the mission of God. You don't have to be too calculated or careful. The second thing is that you do need to be listening. You do need to be listening. That's why we love to pray. That's why we love to get together because the Holy Spirit says stuff. He says this to us as individuals, but he speaks, he speaks corporately to us so that we can discern together what God is saying. You know, in Corinthians, it says that we have the mind in Christ. I don't, but we do. Like, we can, we can figure that out together. And I meet so many Christians who just act on their own, and they're just, like, hitting their head year after year after year because the Spirit is stopping them. But they're just, like, you know, like a toy that's broken, just keeps hitting their head and hitting their head. And when, when really the Spirit's preventing you from doing something is wanting to show you something new. So how this all resolves is Paul goes to bed, and he has a dream. And this guy, it's called known as the Macedonian call. This, this man from Macedonia says, hey, Paul, come and help us. And so Paul goes to Macedonia, and guess who he doesn't see? The man in the dream. But he, he meets this other woman named Lydia, and she opens up her home. She was this really great businesswoman, uh, and she opens up her home, and a church gets started in Philippi, and then he moves on to Thessalonica, and to Athens, to Corinth, to Ephesus, a bunch of small towns in there in between, which we'll talk about later. But then the, he ends his way back into... Jerusalem, and then reports back to the church here. But what ends up happening is that many more churches get born because of this. Philippi becomes uh, a base, just like these other churches. Thessalonica. Uh, Paul said to the Thessalonians, we read about this, like, you know, we didn't even have to go there because your lives and and your speech just went out, and many people, the whole region heard the gospel. And Corinth and Ephesus and all these places, and many more churches have started. And just to say, this doesn't even count 
what other Christians were doing at the time. This is just one group of Christians. Like certainly the gospel went further into Africa with the Ethiopian eunuch. In fact, church history, not just church history indicates that it did. And certainly it went further east and certainly it went further north. But isn't it amazing to see, isn't it amazing to see what 120 believers were able to experience in 28 chapters and 30 years, more than 40 churches What an amazing impact. And as I look at this map, I don't know what you do. When I look at this map and I think about all this happened in 30 years, it makes me wonder what could happen with us in the next 30 years. I wonder what we could do. I wonder how many churches we could play. I wonder how many... How, what kind of impact we can have on the neighborhoods in the city? Uh, what kind of impact we can have on the nations? What kind of impact, what kind of racial walls can be torn down? What kind of communities can be de- developed? What kind of generosity could be unleashed? How many conversions could we see? Well, Brian, it was different back then. You know, that was just kind of a unique time. It's di- okay, let's take a look. Early church, Jubilee church, same God, right? Same yesterday, today, and forever. Commission, the same commission. It gets, you don't get born into Christianity. Every generation takes upon the same commission, same empowerment, same Holy Spirit. Better Bible. They just had the Old Testament. We have the full canon of scripture. We have a bigger, we have a bigger core. Don't ever repeat that, by the way. We have a bigger core group. They had 120, we have 800. They have minimal access to education. We have great, if, that's an, if education is an, is an advantage, we have it better technology, better experience. So here's what I'm thinking. I look at this and I think same God, same commission, same empowerment, full canon of scripture, bigger core group, more access to education, technology, experience, game on. Like to somehow, can we go back to the map? To somehow think that we would do less than this in the next 30 years, might it be dishonoring to God? Might it be dishonoring to his word and his spirit if we were to think less than this, knowing that we have the same God, same empowerment, same commission, better access to scripture and education, technology and all. Maybe we're thinking a bit too low. Let me do a little thing with you. Let's just assume that the life expectancy is 80 years. Here's what I want. If you are about 65, about 65, you know, give or take, would you, would you, I know this is a big ass. Would you mind just raising your hand and standing up? Would you do that real quick? If you're about 65 or so, would you stand up? Stand up. Stand up. Come on. Can we see anyone else just before I do this? There's five. Uh, math, math isn't on the test. So, hey, stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. You guys, you have a half a book of Acts left in you. You're not fading. You're rising. You have a half a book of Acts. Okay, you may be seated. If you are 50-ish, would you mind standing up? 50-ish, give or take. Come on, don't be ashamed. Now, this is going to blow your mind. You have an entire book of Acts left in your life. You have an entire book. And here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. 
You, yeah, you can go ahead and see. Here's the great thing. There is no such thing as a midlife crisis in the kingdom of God. There's always a reflection on what could God do with me, because there is no, we, we never decrease in the kingdom of God. We only increase. We're being moved from one degree of glory to the next. Now, I'm going to skip a few generations. If you are um, about in your, if you're in your 20s, would you stand? Okay, now look at this. You guys, you guys have two entire books of Acts left. You, you stay standing, stay standing. You have two of these. You have two of these. I don't know what you daydream about. But you, you, you can do this. You can lap this. Twice. Now, let me just, I need to warn you with something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you with something. And I'm going to quote one of, one of the best movies of all time, Rocky Three. And <laughs> in Rocky Three, Mickey, the trainer, says to Rocky Balboa before a big fight, he says, one of the worst things that's ever happened to a fighter can happen to you. He said, <laughs> it's my best, sorry. <laughs> he said, you got domesticated. Let me just tell you what's around, the what's around the corner are your 30s and 40s. Let me tell you what happens in your 30s and 40s. You will face the greatest temptation and the greatest threat to this that you'll ever experience. It's the threat to be domesticated. Because here's, what's, here's what your life, you'll be tempted to make it about because this is a ditch that most of us fall into. Life is about you know, a good paying, not so hardworking job. It's about having a nice place. It's about having some nice hobbies. It's about having some nice kids in a nice place. And nothing sinister happens, nothing evil happens, except that you slowly withdraw from this dream. And you trade it for what the Bible would call a bowl of soup. It's the American dream. I just want to, I want to encourage all of us, those who have, if you have a half book, two books, three books, four, whatever you have left, I want to encourage us all, don't settle into that. Don't get domesticated. It is one of the worst things that can happen to you. You, you, can, you can throw yourself into the mission of God. You make a long, wrong turn, he's going to get you back to where you need to go. If you're listening to him and paying attention, you don't have to play it safe. You could risk it all for him. You can be seated. I don't think it's, I don't think I'm over hyping what could be done and the fact that we could totally impact St. Louis and Missouri and the United States and beyond. And I'll put a numeric on it just to make it, for those who are super practical. What could happen next 30 years? Well, if each one of us, each one of us that belongs to Jubilee Church, if we helped one person know God in the next year, so, so if we share the gospel once a week, that means we only have to have a 2% success rate. Like it's not, we're not climbing a mountain here, right? It's just, one, you help one person a year. And so we help that one person. That one person in year two helps another person, as do we. We do that for 30 years. And guess how many people we help know God? Let me show you this number. 429 billion 
496,729,600. At year 25, at year 25, by just helping one person every year, know God, by year 25, the population of the world and the amount of people who know God will intersect. In year 26, we will plant our first church on Mars. <laughs> and no, don't email me whether I believe there's life you know, beyond earth. Are you up? Let me ask you this question, Jubilee Church. Are you up for a big plan? Yeah. Of course you are, and here's why. It's what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus says jump, our only answer is how high? And he said jump. He said go for this. Don't think small, think big. And secondly, uh, apparently, according to Winston Churchill, it's what it means to be American. This is what he said. The American psychology is such that the bigger the idea, the more wholeheartedly and obstinately do they throw themselves into making a success. It is an admirable characteristic provided the idea is good. <laughs> the book of Acts is a very good idea. And there, in it, we don't have to play it safe. We don't have to think small. We can, as we go through the book of Acts, we can think, do it again, Lord. Do it again in our generation. Over the next 30 years, may we see this. May we see more than this. In fact, Jesus gave us a little hint in John chapter 14 when he said, you will do greater works than I did. Well, how can this become a reality? A few small, few, few things. Number one, this is note-taking time. Prioritize local mission. Prioritize local mission. 95% plus of your engagement is going to be in day-to-day -day church life. It's going to be the simple things like doing bless, which is an evangelism strategy that we have, which is, um, you know, begin with prayer, listen to other people's stories, have them eat with people, have meals, hospitality, how hard is that? Um, serve people, and then at the, at the right time, share your story. And do that regularly with people. Engage in that. Engage in that. Engage in that. Every day, you're going to be distracted by the vision of Acts and the, 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 the Acts dream and the American dream. The Acts dream, the American dream. How do you stay engaged with the Acts dream? It's just the daily stuff. Get in a community group if you're not. You need people. Hebrews 10 says, spur each other on to love and good deeds. You need to be spurred on. I do. Go to group, open your home. Lydia opened her home and a church got started. You don't know what will happen if you just take that little step. Apprentice to be a leader. Apprentice, find an apprentice if you are a leader and be an apprentice if you're not a leader. You see, here's the point of attack. How, can we go back to that map again? To the one that had all the good stuff on it. Okay. The, the, the difference between, actually, that was prophetic of you. The difference between a blank map and this map is that, will you, will you apprentice? Whether or not this happens in your life or through you is, is your answer to that question. Now, I'm not trying to like, you know, twist your arm to do something. All I'm saying is don't minimize what God can do. You think it's just a little thing, but no, it's a big thing. To say, yes, I will give it a shot. I don't know if I'll be any good at this. I don't even know if I want to do it. But I want to give myself, I want to give myself to the Acts dream. I don't want to give myself to the American dream. So one is to prioritize um, 
local. The, the second one is to prioritize the wider. It's a smaller percentage of what you'll probably do, but it needs to count. We will plant more churches. We'll, we will plant more locations. We will be involved in helping other churches plant more locations and strengthen them and, and encouraging them. That means giving. That may mean going. Uh, that may mean leading. I, my first invitation to leadership was to an apprentice and a, a group, and I was bad at it. And I'm not just saying that because I say I was bad at it, but I remember the first, on the very first night I led a group, somebody in the group said I was bad at it. <laughs> Almost hurt my feelings like Kurt over here earlier. Yeah, I can hold a grudge. And so we, uh, <laughs> forgiveness is, is next year. So we, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah, so I, I show, and he's like, he, he, I, I lead the group, and he comes up and tells me, and he begins to list off all the, the, the people who could do a better job, job of me, including like his cat. Like, he's just like, yeah, exactly. And so all I'm saying, though, here's the point. The point is, I had no idea. I wasn't thinking I would lead a church. A, I, I, didn't, I knew I couldn't do it. But B, I, I knew that I didn't want to. I knew that I didn't want to. But, I mean, 16, 17 years later, I mean, my life is a total shock to me, not because I'm a pastor, but just like, I just can't believe what God would do if you were open your life up to him. So be open to that. Secondly, our together events. Um, we do a once a year event called Celebration. We do it at the end of June. And it is like, you know, like you go through life and you're just kind of, you know, doing your daily routine. And you need these moments where you like come up for air and where you can see things clearly. That's our moment in Celebration. You, you need that moment. It only happens once a year. It should happen more than once a year, but make sure you go to that once a year time. And we put a lot of resources in making sure and helping people get there. So you could take advantage of that as well. And we'll, you'll hear more about like little mission trips and ways that you can both lengthen and strengthen in places like Mexico and Turkey and the Ukraine and Nepal and Burma and Myanmar, and, which is the same place actually, and Mozambique to strengthen Lincoln, lengthen. And then here's my last point. Um, we need to be gazers and we need to be goers. Um, we do need to keep gazing uh, some people mistake mission for task and activity. And quite honestly, they look bored in our worship services. But we must continue to be gazers. We must continue to look to the word of God, drawing strength from his word, drawing strength from his spirit, uh, these, this being facilitated by one another. We need to cultivate an atmosphere of encounter. I so appreciate the heart of our worship leaders who really seek to create, and they're not alone in this, we're involved too, but to create an atmosphere of encounter. At Jubilee Church, we don't just do meetings. And if we're just doing meetings, count me out. But we're coming together and encounter God, count me in. That's what we do. We want to come to encounter God. So keep gazing. So we are gazers, but we're also goers. Some of us are more comfortable gazing, get nervous about going. Some of us are more gozer, go goers. I'll be this three times is a lot. And, um, and, and, and have more difficult time gazing. But in Acts 1.1, Jesus said, or Luke said of Jesus, he said all that he began to do and teach. Not just do, but also teach. Not just teach, but also do. Going and gazing. Gazing and going. In fact, the better we go, the better we'll gaze. And the better we gaze, the better we'll go. 
So if I can invite the band up to help us, to help lead us in some gazing before we go.